Hello, hello everyone. This is Andre and we are back with the Localization Podcast. This will be episode number 50. I can't believe we actually reached that point. To be honest, some long, long time ago, I made this sort of like promise or agreement with my friend that she would interview me for the special 50th episode. But I guess we forgot about our promise, first of all. And second of all, I guess I'm happy that there are better people to introduce on this podcast than me. So in this 50th episode, I had the pleasure to talk to Annemarie Rutz from Milengo. That is a German LSP. And funny enough, in the last episode with Stephanie, episode number 49, we mostly focused on building relationships, but I guess the niche for Stephanie would be building relationships within the company. This time we're going to be focusing on building the relationships as vendors with your clients. For a long, long time, I was saying that it's not enough to be a vendor. You really want to elevate your position with the client to be really some sort of like a partner with them. And your common goal is to actually satisfy the end customers, the end users of the product or the service that we're localizing. It's not only about delivering the localized projects back to the client. So in this episode with Annemarie, this is what we were focusing on. And hopefully she will give you some ideas and tips how to go about that, how to elevate your relationship with the clients and why being a vendor is not enough. So that's enough for me for now. Please enjoy episode number 50 with Anne-Marie and let's get into it right now. Anne-Marie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Hello. <laughs> so please tell us for starters, where are you joining us from? I'm in Berlin, Germany. How come you are in Berlin, Germany? That's where I live. <laughs> Were you born in Germany? Yes, yes. Okay. And you currently work for Milengo. Is, am I saying this right? Yes, Milengo. That's right. Okay. Do, do your clients have some issues pronouncing it or not really? Not that I know of, no. Does it have anything to do with uh, Millennium or Millennials or... <laughs> Not really. I don't think I, I wasn't involved in picking the name. And I, to be honest, I never questioned it. I just know that there's, I think there's another um, LSP or company working with languages that that's called Melingo. So mm -hmm. there has been some confusion there. But right. yeah, no, I'm not sure what's the origin of the name. Sorry. Okay. So how did you get into localization? That's the usual kickoff question that I have for everyone. So take us back to the to your early beginnings? <laughs> well, I um, studied linguistics. And when I was studying, I didn't really have a very clear idea of where I was going professionally. Mm -hmm. I, to be honest, I never even considered the language industry or I wasn't aware of the job opportunities there. And then at, towards the end of my studies, I ended up in doing an internship with um, Scrivenek, which is a language service I provider. Know. Um, you, you I know. I didn't <laughs> see this on your profile because I was checking your profile just now, but I didn't see this. But yeah, I was also working for Scrivenek. Oh, you were? Czech cool. Republic. Yeah. 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 No, I was working here in Berlin at the Berlin office as a um, sales and marketing intern. And that was only for six months. So to, you know, now in order to get some work experience and to, mm -hmm. yeah. 
And then I still had to finish my studies. And afterwards, I applied for my first real job pretty much across all industries or across, you know, all the um, opportunities that there were for someone with my degree. And then I ended up again in a small translation agency. It was like a, a really, really small um, place, only I think um, four or five employees um, also here in Berlin. And I worked there for four years and I learned a lot, like in a small agency like that, you learn a lot because mm -hmm. you have to take care of the, yeah, you have to do everything exactly to, to have to take care of the whole process. And that was really, yeah, really useful for, for my later career because um, I got a glimpse of all the different aspects of the job. Mm -hmm. And then I joined Milengo, which was back then uh, still called Think Global in 2014 and i've been working here ever since mm, so they rebranded it was a merger they were um of two different companies into one yeah i like when you mentioned the the, the different roles that you had to take on you know do you think it's important for let's say project managers to have the experience working with different I mean, not working with different people from different functions, because that's what you essentially do as a project manager, but having like a practical experience doing, I don't know, a little bit of engineering, testing, maybe even some small little translations. Do you think it's, it's, it's useful or? I, I mean, think it, it helps a lot. Yeah, it can only help if you have seen different angles of the job and maybe you understand better the struggles. Mm -hmm. For example, um, in a small agency, we didn't have a vendor management department. We basically did the recruitment ourselves when the need arose. And then we went Googling or, you know, we went to pros.com or translators cafe or whatever, and went looking for translators and uh, negotiating rates and, you know, all the aspects of the job. I think it's very useful for a project manager to mm -hmm. have experienced that. Okay. Of course it's useful because, you know, like every experience is useful, but do you think it should be sort of mandatory? to expose the project managers to other things? Let's say I'm a new project manager and I join Milengo. Like, would it be part of your, let's say, training to expose me to these different things? Or is it just like, okay, like this, you're going to work with these people and they do these things, but you don't actually have a practical experience with that? Mm, we, we do uh, so-called de um, department hoppings when people join our company. So they get a dedicated like session with each of the departments so that they get an understanding of what they do. And we have actually seen that sometimes it's useful to repeat this after a while, after they have been on the job for a while, because when you first start out, you get so much information. It can be very overwhelming, but after a while, yeah, of course. I mean, whenever there are conflicts, for example, between departments or um, discussions about workflows, I think the only thing you, the only way you can resolve them is by getting an understanding what's the issue and what are the problems the day-to-day struggles of the other departments so mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. if there's time for that i think it's a great idea mm -hmm. going back to your studies i'm wondering like what drove you to to study linguistics in the first place like how did you pick your pick your major and university That's an excellent question i'm to be honest it was kind of a gut decision i actually studied slavic languages so i studied polish and czech during my university years. And now looking back, I don't think that was the best decision for me because most of the people in those language classes at my university were actually people from Poland or whose parents had come from Poland who already had a good idea of the language and just needed to learn the writing and stuff. And I was 
I think one of two or three who had no idea about the language and we struggled a lot. It was very difficult to keep mm -hmm. up with the rest. I mean, for me, it was always like after finishing school, it was like, okay, I want to do something with languages because I enjoy that. And I, um, I think that's something I'm good at, but I wanted to learn new languages that like not one of those that everyone here in Germany speaks like English or French. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to learn something exotic, something mm -hmm. new. But I think I underestimated the difficulty or also the um, how different it is to learn a language in university as opposed to in school where you have all the time in the world and you can, you know, you, you do it pretty much every day for a number of years. And in university, it's so fast paced and you have to do so much self-studying. So um, I struggled with that a little bit. And um, yeah, it was it was a little bit by chance. I just picked something I thought I was good at and was interesting for me. But to be completely honest, the years at university or the content of the studies ended up not being all that interesting to me after all. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of literature also included. and I mean, which is um, interesting, of course, but I never saw the point of it really. Like, where does it take me? What career does it prepare me for? And only towards the end of my studies did I get involved a little bit with um, computer linguistics. And um, there I could see Like, like in the early machine translation days, or like not the very early days, but um, it was obviously a very different situation than we have today. And um, for, the, for the first time, I could see, ah, okay, this is actually, yeah, this is something really meaningful and this is going to be really big in the next years. And it may have been good to catch more of this information, but then, then I was already so um, far in my studies that I only like caught a bit of it. Mm -hmm. But I ended up writing my master's thesis about uh, machine translation and it quite caught my interest. And I think it, um, yeah, tipped me off in the right direction. And I ended mm -hmm. up in this industry and I'm very happy here because I think it's <laughs> extremely interesting and it's, um, yeah, connecting across borders. And that's what I enjoy, right? right. You, right. It's a connection between different people and different cultures. Do you think that the education has evolved or, or gotten better in the last years? I mean, like when you get, let's say, fresh graduates as, I don't know, either interns or junior employees in your company, do you feel like they have a better understanding of the industry and what are the different career opportunities? Or do you think like the, 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 the ac academic uh, institutions still don't teach people, let's say, the, the reality of the industry? It's hard to tell. I mean, definitely, at least I think they, for those who study translation, the technology aspect clearly has become stronger. It has to, obviously, but I think still what is missing, I think, in all these um, language studies is the any business aspect, mm -hmm. like because you, you need that anywhere you go if you decide to go work in in a um, In, a, in any company, you need a basic understanding of business principles. And I can't really tell. I don't know if that has changed or if it's incorporated a little bit, but mm -hmm. I, I would definitely find it useful to stress that more. And also what I missed back then was more orientation or more information of what job profiles are out there in our mm -hmm. industry. I had mm -hmm. no idea. I mean, maybe I knew, of course, that there are people who translate Right, But I, I never thought about there being project managers yes. or localization engineers right. or, you know, the whole range of jobs that there are. That's exactly the gap that we're trying to fill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, 
our conversation will be actually focused on clients and how to, mm-hmm. let's say, lose the client-vendor relationships where you're just getting, I don't know, job requests and then you deliver them and then, then it's over and you get paid and then you're happy. But how to move the relationship to a more sort of like a partnership. So maybe let me ask you why being a vendor, like the vendor in the typical sense, why do you think it's not enough? Um, I think it has its place in the whole process, like delivering translated files, basically being on time and you know, not, not too much uh, to chat in between, just getting the process done has its, has its place and has its value. But in the end, the value that we can deliver as experienced localization professionals goes far beyond that. And yeah, what many companies need or what they um, can actually make use of is how we can consult them because we have seen so many different scenarios. We have collected so much experience with uh, companies of different sizes in different industries with different text types, with different requirements that, yeah, we have something to to tell them. We have something to um, maybe even teach them on how maybe they can spend their money better and not maybe they, they don't need their entire material translated a top high quality two-step workflow and spend all their money on that, but maybe there's a better way to split it. Or So I think that's um, kind of the factor where they, where our clients can um, benefit from, from the experience we have collected. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, for us, of course, it's a much more enjoyable experience when we're not just perceived as the, service delivery uh, team that just sends over the job when it's done, but we can actually participate and help them help them do their job better. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you think this applies mostly to clients who, let's say, don't have that much localization experience? Or are we talking in general, like forming this partnership, even if the client has a really deep understanding of the industry? I mean, both can work out great if you if both sides communicate well and are clear about their their mutual requirements or if the client is clear about their requirements if we have a client who is very well experienced with localization and knows exactly what they want that's great because then we can have a discussion on a much higher or much deeper level even then it's probably more an exchange on a on a technical level you know it's it's like two experts talking to each other and even then we can still say ah maybe we would suggest to do this another way or they can give us some input how about we do it that way and we can um, find the best solution together on the other hand, if we have a client who's very new to the game, it's great if they are open to hearing what we have to say. It's not always the case. Sometimes they don't want mm-hmm. to hear it. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think, I think both, cases, both cases happen in our day-to-day work and both cases um, have their perks for both parties. Mm-hmm. How do you get your clients to the level where they can, I don't know, trust you or perceive you as the expert? I mean, obviously, like if they come to you and and you form a business partnership, then I assume that they want something from you that you have. So in a certain way, there is some expectation of expertise. But I think like what we're talking about, like the relationship, like where it gets to more like an equal level, like where we are, let's say a team working together towards, you know, building the, the, the best localized products and services for the end customers. 
So in your perspective, it's not only about like, okay, I'm delivering this project, but you care more about like, okay, how will the end user perceive it, right? Because that's the goal of both you and your direct client. So how, how do we get there? Like, how do, how do we start these discussions with the clients? And how do we get them to see us as, okay, like if I want to talk about localization or if I want to, I don't know, go into new markets or if I want to, I don't know, try new things, I'm going to go to to you because I see you as an expert and not just like a vendor that does translation and review. I think it's important to show genuine interest in their problems, basically listen to what their problems are and then try to try to offer solutions to the problems instead of just trying to sell the services that we have. And I think in the, especially in the beginning of a collaboration with a new client, it's very important that you uh, first of all, listen and then display re reliability and show them, okay, maybe we have agreed on a first project or a first series of project. And then we live up to our promises. We deliver what we promise. And if something goes wrong or if something is not as they expect, we listen to their feedback and we own up to our accountability. So we, we are genuinely interested in improving our performance. So it's not that we deliver and say, okay, here it is now, uh, go, and, go and live with it. But we enter another round of discussion to see, were you happy with this? What is it that we could still improve? Uh, what didn't meet uh, your expectations entirely and what can mm -hmm. we do better? And it's not only asking them for feedback, but also us on our end, measuring our own performance proactively. So we have our own systems. Um, we have our own expectations that we want to live up to. And if we don't meet them, <clears throat> we share it with them. We tell them, look, maybe um, notice that we were not able to deliver this on time in all cases, or we did not meet our own quality expectations on this project. And these are the steps that we are taking. I think these are um, factors that can really build up trust on their end because they see that we are not just blindly like following their orders or trying mm -hmm. to um, yeah trying to deliver something and um, hope they are happy with it. But we are at the same time checking ourselves if this is up to our standards. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Also, something that we have collected some good experience with is um, if we have a new client who has questions or is like in the process of picking vendors and is not sure if we are the right partner for them, we pair them up with some of our longstanding clients from a similar industry maybe and mm. offer them, do you want mm -hmm. to talk to an existing customer of ours? Do you want to hear from their perspective what their experience with us is? So we have um, seen that this is quite um, a trust-building measure also. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That is interesting. I, I haven't heard that uh, before. I think that maybe... <laughs> Some of the some of the LSPs might even try to prevent that so that the clients, I don't know, don't start talking about the rates if you have like different rates for different clients. But but yeah, I, I like this idea. What I'm interested is about because you mentioned this that you should have your own internal checks. And if you find that something didn't work out, you come back to the client kind of like very transparently and say that we we messed up this. Can you give me like some, some example how this would happen? Like, how do you catch something after you already delivered? Because like my assumption would be that you have the processes in place that would actually prevent you from delivering something that's not good enough in the first place. Mm, yeah, of course, that's the ideal scenario. Um... I mean, it happens 
every now and then that it only it only gets noticed um in a following project when someone spots a mistake mm -hmm. in the tm for example or um, it can also be about like um a general analysis of um did we meet our um expected standard turnaround times i mean yeah you notice this during the process but um then we have we have someone behind that like checking it on a more general basis how was it in the past quarter and that's maybe something that you would address later on with the client we noticed that we were not able to meet this at all times how important is this for you and like what can we do to improve it and things like that <laughs> so far we were mostly talking about let's say the expertise of us like let's say lsps how does the expertise connect or tie to the business of the of the customers like are you actually trying to proactively understand what they're trying to achieve like their business goals not just from the localization perspective but as a, as their company like also like what is their culture and try to somehow fit into it so that you i don't know build the relationships that's the ideal yes <laughs> um, and i think that's actually something what what i mentioned earlier the lack of um business education in the mm -hmm. in the language um educational formats i think this is a really important aspect because people or i can only speak for myself but i have seen it with my peers also you don't learn to think in business terms mm -hmm. in school or in university if you study a language and this is really something we are trying by having internal training programs and workshops with our pm teams and our client uh, success managers that they learn to think like their clients think and mm -hmm. they learn to understand what their clients problems are And that way, I think you can have much more meaningful conversations with your clients. Of course, it's also it, it can also happen at a like more um, general level, like adapting to their style of communication. You know, adapting. This is of course also part of the company culture, right? If they prefer to have presentations in person or versus a Zoom meeting, or for example, in German, we have the formal address versus the informal address. That's something you can mm -hmm, mm -hmm. feel from their communication and then try mm -hmm, to adapt mm -hmm. to it. And I think it's important because if you try to, if you um, keep using the informal address while they are, you know, more like the um, a company where everyone is using the formal one, then it's, it's weird and it's right. inappropriate and they feel it and they may feel uneasy with it. Or the other way around, also expressing interest in their end users or customers. I think this is a very important factor because it makes them realize you actually want to help them realize their goals. Trying to understand what their KPIs are, things like that. I think there's still a lot to learn for for us in our in the way we deliver our services. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You, you mentioned this twice already, so I, I have some ideas about what you meant by that when you were talking about you know the lack of. Uh, the business education, like the business aspect in our industry. Can you maybe be more specific? Let's say some junior people are listening to us. So what is something that they should, I don't know, look up or, or learn? Like, like what, what, do, what do we mean by basic business understanding? What are the most important KPIs? What, or what, what can they be? Like, what, what is it that my, um, the person I'm talking to, maybe my client, mm -hmm. what is their position in the company? Where do they stand? Who are maybe... Do they have direct reports? Who are they reporting to? What are the KPIs of the person they are reporting to? 
I think these questions are very vital to understand what is it that I can actually do to make their life easier. If they like, if if budget is the biggest issue at the moment, how can I help them go to their superior superior and say, here, here, look, I made our localization project so much cheaper, or I may, uh, I don't know, I managed to um, arrange for another language to be in the package, or whatever it is that their problem is. How can I help them solve it so they mm-hmm. can do a good job and they, yeah, can in a way also look good you know (laughs) i think that's very important and that's not something that you um necessarily think about when you receive a project request or if they ask you uh, can this be made cheaper in some way or and so on but how how do you actually get that information from them like i assume that like asking like hey dear client what is what is your kpis (laughs) (laughs) like is it like do you need to do you feel like you need to get to certain point with your relationship with the client first because you before sorry before you can start asking these questions or is it already something that you're asking when you're let's say onboarding the client and trying to understand their business like when is the point where we start going from okay we understand your request we understand your projects we can now safely do them now tell me more about how you do your job internally because I feel that like maybe some people, you know, localization, some localization managers might even feel, I don't know, threatened by that. Yeah, this is, I think this is a very individual question. I mean, in an ideal world or how I imagine the the ideal partnership between a vendor and the customer would be a situation where you can ask these questions and both parties feel comfortable talking about it. But obviously this is not always the case. And in some cases, maybe even the client is not completely aware of what the what the ultimate goal or the ultimate KPI is but yeah I I think in the end this is it's our job and this is mostly or in many cases not the job of one project manager but more of the team on our end we have the client success manager who has maybe quarterly business review meetings with them or in the case of a new client, maybe even the, the business development manager who first talks to them, they get a feeling like how knowledgeable are they? What is their status in the company? How are they in charge of making the decision? Or um, are they only executing orders? Um, mm-hmm. Are they comfortable talking to me about this or not? And if not, maybe then we have to first um, prove ourselves a little Mm -hmm, bit and mm -hmm. show them we are Mm -hmm. really here to help you and we want to get to that level with you. So we will show you by working consistently and delivering the quality that you need in the time that you need. We show you that we are here for you and then over time, maybe this relationship develops. So I think this is really very, very different from case to case and cannot be answered for everyone the Mm -hmm, same. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think even like some general guidelines are are very helpful you you mentioned that it's sort of a responsibility of the whole team right Mm -hmm. like to to move the relationship you mentioned project managers obviously because you know they're the ones doing the day-to-day things then you mentioned customer success manager which i I assume is someone like account manager someone who takes care of the client or or the account then you also mentioned the business development manager so someone who who lands the client and forms the initial Uh, the business relationship so what would be if we can somehow categorize it based on the different roles what would be your expectations for a different role that interacts with the client 
as to improving the relationship or building this relationship or moving the relationship to a more partnership level. So what would you, let's say, expect from a project manager? Like how can the project manager improve the relationship with the client? Well, they can show, as I mentioned, the reliability. I think that's really a key factor. If we commit to something, then we have to deliver it. Or if we cannot deliver it, then we have to be transparent about it and address it ourselves. And I think for the project managers, it's also very important to identify, yeah, maybe like red flags or um, topics that come up during day-to-day discussions where maybe they hint at the client having new plans or the client considering switching vendors. So it's really the PM who can hear these things and then they have to pick it up and talk to the account manager or um, yeah, whoever, whoever is in charge of, of dealing with that or um, maybe consulting with their superior in order to see what can we do to support this process with the client. Depending on how the relationship is between the PM and the client, maybe they can also address it themselves. It's really, you know, every company has this, uh, is organized a little differently, but Mm -hmm. I think the PMs have a very vital role in that they are at the front of things and they Mm -hmm. hear the little hints in the, in the day-to-day way. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. Would you, would you, would you agree with me that PMs are, let's say the, the main factor that can improve these relationships or is it, the account manager. It's a team effort, really. Mm-hmm. I don't, I think this is really individual. Um, I think I have also had some clients that don't even appreciate it if they have to have cli- um, business review meetings and they don't understand what it's for and they just right. want to get their stuff done, right? And right. then it's, it is the job of the PM to um, kind of try to get the information mm-hmm. out of the day to day conversation but at the end i mean why do we have the account managers or clients uh, success managers it is it is their yeah. task to um, build this relationship and to express the interest that we have in the long standing collaboration so i i think it's it's for a good reason that we have that position in place in many localization mm-hmm. companies so since we're talking about project managers what would be one of the key things that you try to train your new project managers when it comes to building these relationships? Do you have anything like that as part of your training program or do you just leave it up to the individuals to, to pick it up? Or, or maybe you have some ideas, you have some best practices, but you don't have them documented yet. Mm, well, this is an evolving process, really. Um... We have put a lot of effort in the past years into automizing the repetitive tasks of the PMs so that Mm -hmm. we can make more room for them to dedicate more time to these strategically important and also more interesting parts where Mm -hmm. you work on the relationship and maybe you also can put some time into thinking, how could I improve this process for the client? What could I make better here? Can I maybe consult with another internal department to work out some suggestions for the client? So we do train them on that. We recently had a workshop for our PMs and and the um, CSMs also on um, startups and their individual Mm -hmm. startups or scale-ups and their individual um, challenges and what to look out for and how we can support them and their 
situations. So we try to open their view on the different kinds of contact people that they deal with at the client side. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you have any KPIs for your project managers that would be related to, to improving their relationships? Or maybe, you know, you mentioned coming up with some innovations or suggestions for the client to make things better. Well, we have a, we have a churn KPI to, to avoid customer churn, which mm -hmm. is, I think, very important for us as a company. And I can, as far as I can tell, also the training efforts that you have put into this in the past um, months and years have are appreciated also by the PMs because they understand better what is it what it is that they contribute to the company's success other than you know getting the projects done and just uh, mm -hmm, getting mm -hmm, the revenue mm -hmm. through so churn is one and um, the net promoter score asking mm -hmm. the clients would you recommend us to appear and um, this, I think this is also a very interesting and important metric for us to mm -hmm, measure mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. So we were talking a lot about the clients and you also mentioned like in ideal scenario. So what, what do you think would be the ideal client for you with whom, let's say you can for sure establish this kind of partnership? Well, there are some hard factors like size. Mm -hmm. We don't go for the really big players, but more for like um, medium sized because we have we know that we can serve their needs better. At the same time, if their budget is too small, it's also not not a good fit um, because it's difficult to get it profitable for us. The very big clients, or yeah, the very big clients sometimes also have technical requirements that we cannot fulfill with our team size or our software development capacities, for example. So, um, yeah, size is a factor. Then obviously we have certain industries where we are experts and we know we have good translators that we can, can serve those companies well. We have experience there. And then, as I said, we are looking for clients that are open to sharing their requirements and are willing to accept us on eye level as well mm -hmm. and don't want to treat us just as the as the vendor who has to pick up everything that gets thrown mm -hmm. over the fence. <laughs> mm -hmm. How do you actually discover that if the client is like that? Like if they are willing to share, do you think it's something that you can discover before you enter the relationship or it's something that, you know, you get to after you earn their trust? I guess your answer could be just, it depends on <laughs> individual <laughs> cases. Yeah, I, I think we have gotten pretty good at or um, our sales team has worked out certain buyer personas that we focus on and mm -hmm. it, it seems to be working quite well for us. Of course, it happens that there are mismatches that you only discover after a while where you notice, okay, we have really tried everything, but we cannot satisfy them or they, they are still not happy with us. And to a point where it gets unprofitable for us to try even more. And then there are cases where you have to maybe say, it seems mm -hmm. not to be working out. Maybe the, maybe we're not the greatest fit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I think we are pretty okay with it. <laughs> like, what, what was your experience letting the clients go? I mean... This is always a difficult decision and it's not something we do often, but 
yeah, we have had cases where it turned out either we simply cannot fulfill the technical requirements they are asking us or not in the reason, not in the um, amount of time they are expecting. There were also some cases where we just felt they were not willing to treat us as a partner. They, they were not judging us fairly. Like for, there was an example where they were um, on client side, a non-native speaker was reviewing our translations mm -hmm. and was flagging things that simply were not mistakes, mm -hmm. but they wouldn't listen to us. They would mm -hmm. only listen to their mm -hmm. reviewer. And then right. at some point, there's nothing we can do. We can just say, okay, then we cannot deliver what you need from us. But of course, this also this is always a long process and we try to flag such serious issues early on so that we never try to let a client stand in the rain from one day to the other and say we're not working for you anymore we there's always a transition phase yeah but if if we notice um they are not really willing to work together with us on the issues that we are having or we have to put in so much um, effort that it's simply not profitable for us anymore. There have been cases where we decided to say, sorry, mm -hmm. we feel like we're not the right partner. So far, we were talking about mostly like, you know, the professional side of the things and the relationships, you know, like being a reliable partner and coming up with innovation suggestions, understanding the problems, coming up with solutions and so on. But what about the, the really personal level? Like, do you think it should be part of a, I don't know, strategy to form some sort of a closer bond with the, with the clients, like as people, like, are we trying to become friends with them or, or no? What, what is your opinion on this? I'm a German, right? I, <laughs> my answer will <laughs> okay. always be no, do not become friends with your clients. <laughs> At the same, and I, I think, It happens very rarely that you get along so well with with the person on the other end of the phone line or the, the end of the meeting that, that you want to be their friend. But I feel this is, there are just people who love to talk, right? And mm -hmm. I think it's very advisable to go with the flow and to to exchange some, some personal pleasantries as well, because it just makes work more fun also, right? If you have a client who you really like and where you are looking forward to their update after their vacation... I mean, why not? You don't have to be their best friend. And it's a fine line, I guess, where in the end, everyone has to decide <laughs> where their, where their um, boundaries are. But I definitely think that having more of a personal human touch in the business transaction is, or can only help mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. they will have better understanding for your situation. You will have a better understanding for their situation. Also, I feel like if you only have one contact person in a company and you always only talk to them, it can be very nice to meet the team just once. And, you know, so you know who are the people this person is working with mm -hmm. and you can check in and ask, you know, how are your colleagues? How's your team going? So these are things that can really make everyone's life a little easier and more fun. And it can always, def it can also definitely strengthen the bond that you have with them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I wouldn't advise to becoming their friend. No. <laughs> Why? You think it can be also risky or dangerous? It can, it can become unpleasant. Maybe not dangerous, but there's always the chance that there, there's some serious complaint or whatever, mm -hmm. or a serious like dent in the collaboration. And I think it's 
much easier to keep up your professional behavior if you're not too much personally involved. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But that's up for every up to everyone's discretion, right, I guess. Right, pe right. Some people can deal better with it than others. <laughs> right. Not so good. <laughs> right, right. How would you advise, let's say, PMs to build this more personal connection, not friendship, but more personal business connection with the client over emails? Because at least in my experience, and that's another question, another thing that we can talk about because you mentioned QBRs. And usually in my experience, it's mostly dedicated for the account managers and the people who actually do the projects, they are in many cases not invited, even though they may have a stronger relationship or bond with the client than the account manager. So, okay, let's let's go back to the to the first question. So how do you think that the project manager can build more personal relationship with someone over just email let's say that they don't even have meetings over zoom well that's easy just find the funniest gifts you can find <laughs> 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 okay. yeah i don't outside. know i mean yeah emails that's a tricky one that's uh, the... i think there will always be clients who all only uh, send the necessary lines and then um, there's not much to do about it I really think you have to go with the flow and try. I mean, you can make an effort, but if you really notice they are not interested, then it's probably, <laughs> yeah. I mean, when we merged the two companies, Milengo and Think Global, we noticed the difference that Milengo was working more with international clients and Think Global more with German-speaking clients. And the German-speaking clients were much more inclined to pick up the phone and, and talk. And this has, this has changed, like with the pandemic and everything. I think much more happens over written communication nowadays or obviously Teams meetings or Zoom meetings. The phone is not so much in the game anymore, but it's very much a question of personal preference. But I feel the inclination of to talk whatever media, over whatever medium um, is not so strong anymore. People prefer to just send messages and short texts and so on. So it's probably mm -hmm. the same anywhere also in our private lives, right? So yeah, I guess you just have to find ways to be funny and, and likable over email. <laughs> <laughs> and what about the QBR? Like, do you, do you send your PMs to those meetings or is it mostly dedicated for the, for the, for the guys in the suits? It depends on what is the current topics that are being discussed and what is the relationship the existing relationship between PMs and CSMs and clients. So we have a couple of clients where the relationship with the PMs is very strong and they will always um, join the meetings just to enjoy the occasion and to mm -hmm. see each other and to talk to each other. Also, we make a point for management to join QBRs on a regular basis so that we also don't lose touch with the clients and talk to them and hear firsthand what they have to say. It's a mix, really. It always depends on the situation, on the relationships, on the um, topics to be discussed and on the availability. Mm -hmm. So we, we don't strictly have CSMs on the calls, but we, we mix and match. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When, when I met one of the clients in my previous jobs for the first time, it was something like a QBR. It was more like a training, like they were training us on something. I think I made a very Huge faux, faux pas because I asked my client, she was a lady, and I asked about her age. <laughs> like, <laughs> on, the, 
on the very first meeting. Um, so yes, not good. So maybe on the topic, if if somebody's like some of the project managers are going to meet their clients for the first time to build this relationship, what would be your things that you would actually suggest them not to do? Asking their age would be one of them. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> for me personally, I always think it's better to listen than to talk too much. I really think it's not nice to be like um, talking and talking and and having them listen to your life story and your experience and what is what are all the good ideas that you have. I think it's always advisable to just feel the room a little bit and then react to the situation. People are so different and some of them can be intimidated. If you give too much input, some of them can be impressed, right? And it's very hard to answer that. Mm-hmm. Okay. In the in the beginning, you talked about, you know, like being the consultant for the clients. How do you get to educate your clients? Let's say that we 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 have a new client, okay, and maybe this client doesn't know much about localization. Would you, do you have already some material prepared for them, or do you try to I don't know first understand their business and then give them some ideas or try to explain how localization would make their business better or how does it work with education? I would be careful with um, swamping them with material Mm -hmm. early on. I would really also in this situation suggest to first listen carefully and not to overwhelm them because this can also come across as patronizing and you first have to get a feeling of how much of your consultation is actually desired by the client and you don't want to be like the smart ass who knows everything. Yeah, this can come across negative. But if a client is open to learn or is openly says that they don't have much experience with localization or they are open to your suggestion, that's obviously great for us. If they wouldn't, or if they don't appreciate your input, it can be difficult because they may not be so open to finding joint grants on workflows or processes. They, they can be more demanding and, and wanting you to do things their way. Yeah, it really depends on, on their situation and on their knowledge and the scope. In some cases, it can make sense to offer them dedicated trainings on certain topics like when they are looking for, I don't know, when they are looking for a TMS or when they are trying to understand certain aspects of our business terminology or whatever, it can make a lot of sense to ha- hold a small training session for some of their team members. But um, I think in general, it's more advisable to educate them continuously, but tailored to their needs and not just, you know, swamping them with everything in one session. And then here's the material, please learn it. And then we will mm-hmm. talk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just try to um, tie it into your conversations with them and pointing them to certain topics. Try to use their terminology instead of our terminology because mm-hmm, we are mm-hmm. so used to, you know, yeah, using our abbreviations and uh, right. using our terminology that it can be really hard for them to understand when they are new to the topic. Yeah, I think you have to really address the, the specific needs at the specific times. It's mm-hmm. difficult to tie a package and hand it to them and say, here's everything you need to know. It has to be mm-hmm. tailored and um, step-by-step. Mm-hmm. Have you ever engaged with the, with the end users of the localized products in some way? Don't recall any situation like that, no. Is there anything that you think maybe we should add to the, to the topic of you know building the relationships 
with the clients and getting to the partnership level, like something that I didn't ask you, but you think maybe we should mention it? Um, yeah, maybe I would stress once again that if, <laughs> if you start working with a new client, it's really worth or um, really important to put in the effort at the beginning of the relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Because your longstanding clients will probably, they already know you, they know what they can expect from you, and they will also be more tolerant if some, something goes wrong. But the new clients, they are really evaluating you and you need to prove your reliability with every interaction. So it's, even though in the beginning, the margins may suffer because you have to put in the extra effort, mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. really worth it, I think, um, investing early in the relationship. And then you can kind of yeah, harvest <laughs> later on when you <laughs> right. have when you have built on that. Right, right, right. So so in what form would you pay, I don't know, extra attention to the to the new client? Like would you do extra reviews or or would you have, I don't know, senior people double check the deliveries of the PMs or well we, we have for example a dedicated um, PM team that is only in charge of the new business clients. Mm -hmm. And those are senior people who have mm -hmm, been mm -hmm. extra carefully trained and they mm -hmm. know that they can put more time into those clients um, that the we have a little more tolerance with the margins in these cases. Yeah, they will sometimes put in an extra LQS or an extra review step if they are unsure or they they know that they have to pick the most reliable translators for the jobs and so on. So Great. So we talked about the clients and so on. So let's talk about you a little bit <laughs> in my final set of questions, if that's okay with you since you're joining. Sure. <laughs> so... What are you curious about right now? And this can be, I don't know, work-related, localization-related, or just completely personal stuff, your hobbies, whatever. <laughs> I learned to play the guitar, so I'm curious about my guitar waiting at home for me. Um, Work-wise, at the moment, I'm trying to learn more about um, topics of finance and forecasting and mm -hmm. numbers, everything mm -hmm. mm -hmm. number-related. Um, I think it's a very deep rabbit hole and I'm only beginning to understand the whole <laughs> the whole con no, not the whole concept but uh, the importance of it also an ongoing topic for me is how to prioritize my tasks better because at the moment I'm managing various departments with very different topics and issues mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I find it sometimes difficult to jump from one topic to the other mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know like that and mm -hmm, mm -hmm still keep the important stuff present and not not forget anything so prioritization is always a hot topic for me <laughs> and i'm very much enjoying that after or i mean the pandemic is not over but finally we are able to travel again a little bit so i'm curious to meet new people and explore new countries in the next years <laughs> so now I'm, right now i'm curious to learn what have you discovered about prioritization Because it's quite general topic. I think it applies to pretty much everyone. Everyone has to, you know, shuffle different tasks. When do you prioritize? Let's start with that. Like, do you mm -hmm. prioritize your stuff in the morning? Like once you get a, an idea about what's, what's there for you in the inbox and what the meetings look like, how do you prioritize your, I don't know, day? 
uh, lately I have a slot uh, every Monday morning with my boss where we talk about priorities for the week. And I think that's very, very helpful because the calendar is obviously always full. And if you don't um, pay attention, then you will just be a slave to your appointments and just have them one by one. But talking to him in the morning every Monday about what is what is it where we we are struggling right now and what is it where my attention is needed helps me to identify, okay, maybe there are two or three meetings that I can cancel this week because they are not business critical at the moment or they are just, you know, regular meetings where not much is on the agenda. It's okay to skip them for a week or so. And that helps tremendously because otherwise I tend to become like, yeah, driven by my agenda and then, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then you lose focus. So I find that very helpful to take some time in the morning, exchanging with someone also can be very mm -hmm. helpful mm -hmm. talking about mm -hmm. it, hearing other opinions. Mm -hmm. Do you provide this service prioritization to your, to your, let's say, I don't know, team? If they're struggling with their priorities, because I can, I can see that work for them as well, right? Because you're basically talking to your boss because he has a even, even larger, you know, like perspective, right? Like yeah. Bigger picture. So that's why he can help you with the priorities. But do you do the same thing with your team? Yes. If the need arises, yes. Mm -hmm. Also, um, we implemented the OKR framework last mm -hmm. year. Mm -hmm. So in order to structure our strategic projects better. And I feel like that helps all of us very much because we have the kind of tree structure and we have the company goals at the top. And it helps a lot to ask yourself, is what I'm doing right now paying into the company goals or not? And if not, then it's probably not so important. And I really feel like the whole our whole leadership team has adopted this idea very well and they it helps them to to prioritize their mm -hmm. tasks as well. What were you doing before the OKR? <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was more, I mean, we had our smart goals as well, mm -hmm. but it was not, it was more divided by department or by unit and it was mm -hmm. not so much interwoven. So I think um, the new system helps us much more work together with all the different parts of the company and make sure we use the capacities that we have in the best way possible mm -hmm, mm -hmm, together mm -hmm. and not everyone for their own goals. What is something that people seem to misunderstand about you <laughs> as a German? Well, as I said earlier, when in case of doubt, I tend to rather shut up than talk too much. And this happens to me also sometimes when, when meeting new people or like when, when I'm in a new environment, I'm more mm -hmm. like, I listen first before I talk so much. And this can come across as arrogance sometimes. It's not, it's not meant that way. It's more being shy, but they, uh, some people <laughs> interpret it as a lack of interest in the other person or something, but that's not what it is at all. <laughs> How have you handled the way that people interpret your behavior? Like, like, are well, you just are just fine? Like them having these assumptions that maybe you are arrogant or shy, or do you try to proactively explain it to them that okay, like if I don't know you, if the misunderstanding is cleared up, then I try to be all the more charming so they notice it was a misunderstanding. <laughs> <laughs> My notorious question: What do you think is wrong with our industry? 
I like our industry. Not much is wrong with it. <laughs> but I think, um, like, if, if I had to pick something, I think it sucks that localization is still perceived as, as a cost factor and not so much as a value added mm -hmm. for in many settings. Like it's, it's so important for, for products or services to be perceived in other countries and for the whole international, internationalization and globalization. But the process itself is always or often perceived as a cost factor. The margins are really tight. There's not much room for us to, to be creative and try out new services or concepts because we are always in such um, strong competition with, with the other providers. And I think that's, yeah, that's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. We were talking about the, the education you know, to, the, to the clients before. So what do you think we can do about this? I don't know if individual LSPs, or let's say as the industry as a whole, If I knew, I would probably also already be very successful. <laughs> I mean, I think we have to always find new ways to make technology work fast. I see for us as a company, we've come such a long way with automation and saving, saving costs on the boring repetitive task and then dedicating that time elsewhere. So I think it's important for us to stay on top of the technolo technological developments and There we can be creative. How can we use them? How can they work for us so that we can save costs on the things that the machine can do for us, but use the time and money for other processes and services? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you think that maybe if we become more efficient, then the client would just expect even lower rates? <laughs> I'm not sure if we can go much lower, <laughs> to <Right>. be honest. <laughs> Are there any absurd or stupid things that you do? I make funny noises when chewing gum. <laughs> oh my God. Like, like I don't blow bubbles, but I make these small poppy noises and people are irritated by it. <laughs> Is that what you were looking for? <laughs> Maybe, maybe, maybe. <laughs> I think that could be added to the to the list of what not to do when you're meeting the client for the first yes, time. Yes, good point. <laughs> Don't <chew a> okay. <laughs> All right, Annie Mari. So thank you for the interview. My um, pleasure. Thanks the, for the invite. I have one more thing. So the final thing is if you could speak to the minds of everyone in the industry, what would you tell them? I think... In most cases, we should remember that there are no lives depending on our work and we should, you know, relax, have fun and be nice to each other and it will make everyone's days much easier. All right. Well, thank you very much for the interview again. Thank you. And talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yes,